from treating anaphylaxis at schools to treating peanut allergy to prevent anaphylaxis at schools and other places. Today on the podcast, we're talking about two abstracts presented at the American Academy of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology Conference 2021. If you love someone who has food allergy, you're going to love this episode. Welcome to Food Allergy and Your Kiddo with Dr. Alice Hoyt, the podcast about demystifying food allergies, diminishing allergy anxiety, and taking back control. Let's navigate this challenge together with evidence-based information, scientific research, and tried and proven practices. And now, here's your host, board-certified allergist and immunologist specializing in food allergy, Dr. Alice Hoyt. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Food Allergy and Your Kiddo podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Alice Hoyt, and I'm so glad you're joining me today to talk about two super exciting abstracts that were at the American Academy of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology Conference this past weekend. Um, both of these abstracts were submitted um, by my team and myself and are on two different topics. One is with my colleagues at the Cleveland Clinic in Cleveland, Ohio, and one of the abstracts is with my colleagues with the Code Anna program. And I've talked about Code Anna in the past, haven't so much talked about directly about my work with Cleveland Clinic, and I really can't say enough great things about the Cleveland Clinic. Amazing people, amazing doctors, amazing nurses, amazing support staff, just really, really wonderful. Oh, and my patients, amazing. So what I'm going to talk about first is the abstract entitled A Simplified Real-World Approach to Safely Inducing Bite-Proof Tolerance in Peanut Allergic Preschool-Aged Children and Babies. Okay, so that was kind of a mouthful, right? Basically what this poster talks about, and I'll back up for a second, when I'm talking about an abstract, that is a presentation typically in poster format that is sort of an overview of research that is being done or some sort of work that is being done. When I talk about the Codana work, not so much research, more about our outreach. But in talking about this work that we're doing, what we're presenting here is a way to work with families who have kiddos with peanut allergy, pretty young kiddos. And really what we're trying to do is identify young kiddos who kiddos who are less than four years of age who have a peanut allergy and decrease their risk of having anaphylaxis when they ingest peanut. So when you look at this poster, if, if you look at it, and if you're signed up to my email list, then you'll receive, um, you'll receive a copy of the poster so that you can actually see what I'm talking about. But you can also find this information on the blog. You can click the link to the actual printed abstract that will show rationale, methods, results, conclusions. And that's what I'm going to go through right now. Our rationale behind trying to make kiddos have a less likely chance of having a reaction to peanuts if they already have a peanut allergy is just that. We don't want kiddos having anaphylaxis to peanut, right? So 
when we identify children who are identified as peanut allergic as early as infancy, we want to provide them with a treatment option. Up until very recently, the treatment option was avoidance of peanut. And for some families, that still is the best approach. But some families, their kiddos might benefit from being what is sometimes called bite-proof. And our definition of bite-proof is a kiddo can tolerate about two peanuts. And bite-proof is a term that's kind of falling out of favor because it can have kind of different different meanings. But for the purposes of this discussion, know that bite-proof means if somebody who has a peanut allergy ingests a couple of peanuts, then they are tolerant of, of those couple of peanuts if they're bite-proof. I mean, you can accidentally take a bite and not have an allergic reaction. So that's what we were really looking at is really can we make kids bite-proof? And can we really do it safely? And, and that's a big, big part of this. So our methods included identifying kiddos who had a peanut allergy who were under the age of four years. And we started these kiddos on EPOIT, Early Peanut Oral Immunotherapy. I've talked about immunotherapy before. Definitely check out earlier podcasts and go to foodallergyandyourkiddo.com where you can find more information about EPOIT. But in short, what happens is that a kiddo will come into the office, a kiddo with a known peanut allergy will come into the office and they will have an initial dose of peanut. So yes, in kiddos with a peanut allergy, we as board certified allergists are giving kiddos a tiny, tiny, tiny amount, like about eight milligrams of peanut protein. And we do that by using either peanut flour or in my protocol, we use peanut butter. And we use these tiny, tiny teaspoons that our patients order through Amazon for a few dollars. At that first visit of their starting of EPOIT, they'll take a tiny, tiny amount, again, eight milligrams, which is half of a drop. A drop is 1 64th of a teaspoon, so half of that. So how do we get half of that? We mix it with bottled water. Or they do, the kiddos would do a protocol that involved peanut flour. But they come in, they have that first dose, some of my colleagues will do sort of a, a buildup dose that day where they start even smaller than that and, and give the kiddos a few doses throughout the day in the office, very much supervised. And then the kiddo goes home and every day consumes that, that dose. So eight milligrams of peanut, typically in the form of a powder or in the form of peanut butter diluted with water. They take that every day and two weeks later, they come in back into the office and we go up a little bit and we do this over many, many weeks. Most kiddos get up to a maintenance dose, which is about 500 milligrams of peanut protein, which is about half of a teaspoon of peanut butter. And we're able to get to that dosing half of a teaspoon over about six months. And then kiddos continue on this maintenance amount to so about half a teaspoon of peanut butter every day, typically for at least a year before we talk about repeat testing and repeating that peanut challenge. And I've talked about ingestion challenges in the past too. So definitely 
check out the earlier podcast about ingestion challenges. I specifically talked about the safety of ingestion challenges with my friend and colleague, Dr. Samantha Knox. If you haven't checked out that episode or that blog post, definitely check that out because the safety data is really fantastic. On the poster and in the abstract, well, definitely on the poster, not so much in the abstract, but on the poster, you'll be able to see the um, the very conservative buildup protocol that was done under the direct supervision of the allergist um, in our allergy team. You'll also see the little tiny teaspoons that the families purchased, as well as you'll see that the family would bring in water and their peanut butter. The results of this work are what's really exciting, specifically the safety data that of the 28 children who have been participating in early peanut OIT, and now it's a lot more, over 10,000 doses of early peanut oral immunotherapy have been administered. Of those over 10,000 doses, there have been eight reactions, most of which have been very, very mild, and only one of which required epinephrine be administered. And that was in the office, and that was with the initial dose, and it was with a kiddo who had higher blood tests, larger skin prick tests, and the kiddo was treated with epinephrine and did very well and has continued to do well on a modified protocol. So the nice thing about this too is that it's it's not one size fits all. It's really personalizing the medicine to what is best for the kiddo and what is best for the family. Because again, I said when I opened that for some families, peanut avoidance is still the best treatment plan. And so that's that's really the case that some patients it's, it's not the right time for early peanut oral immunotherapy. And so in conclusion, what's really exciting about early peanut oral immunotherapy being done under the supervision of an experienced board-certified allergist and allergy team is that these babies and preschool-aged children with peanut allergy can safely become bite-proof using provider-specific early peanut oral immunotherapy protocols. So even though my protocol is incredibly conservative, there are some other protocols that are less conservative and the kids are doing fantastically. Which leads me to my next point that ultimately we need to continue exploring early peanut oral immunotherapy and finding which protocol is best for which kiddo to continue to have really, really, really low rates of side effects or adverse reactions, but while also minimizing the number of doses and office visits so that kiddos can keep being kiddos and parents don't have to miss as much work, right? But ultimately getting us to the point where kiddos are ingesting half a teaspoon of peanut butter, these kiddos who are allergic to peanut but they're not having allergic reactions because we've built their tolerance. So that is poster slash abstract number one. It's actually number 352. If you are looking um, on the online PDF from the American Academy of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology. So now let's go to poster number 59. This poster slash abstract is entitled The Heterogeneity of State-Specific Epinephrine Training Program Listing Requirements 
in the United States. And what this abstract slash poster is talking about is how different the states have epinephrine training information and programs. Why this is relevant is because Code Anna equips schools to be prepared for medical emergencies like anaphylaxis. Part of that involves Code Anna's online epinephrine training course. And the training course was initially developed a few years ago after there was a tragedy in a New York daycare. And it became very apparent that early childhood professionals were not necessarily equipped to recognize, much less respond to an allergy emergency. So Codana, which for years prior to that tragedy, had been working primarily with K through 12 schools to teach schools how they can actually create a universal medical emergency response plan, kind of like a fire drill, but for a medical emergency. Codana responded to this tragedy by creating an epinephrine training course. And I've talked about Codana on the podcast and on the blog. So definitely check out the prior episodes where I go over Code Anna and how schools can be prepared to respond effectively to any medical emergency by having a medical emergency response team. This this particular abstract or poster are objectives um, of, of the content of the poster were to determine epinephrine training requirements by identifying the state laws pertaining to epinephrine administration. So all of the states have different laws regarding stock epinephrine for schools, regarding who can administer stock epinephrine for schools, and also non-school entities. So there's a lot of heterogeneity across the United States regarding epinephrine administration, but also who can provide training on how to administer that epinephrine. And as the Codiana team and I were working through all of the United States, we were finding, wow, there's a lot of heterogeneity. There are a lot of differences amongst the states in how states require or mandate or don't mandate stock epinephrine in schools. They have differences in who can provide the training of epinephrine auto-injectors. It's very, very interesting. What we found was that we were able to get responses from about half of the states And some of the states that did respond, they don't necessarily have an approach to organizations like Codana for how they can become state-approved training organizations. Whereas some states have it very spelled out how, how an organization can become an approved organization. And what's been so interesting is that as we have worked through the different states and continue to work with different states, we have learned the different laws and we've been able to be part of starting to shape policy that advocates 
for kids who have food allergies. Part of that advocacy was in collaboration with the Allison Rose Foundation. And I'll have Mike and Becca Suey on the podcast in a few weeks. And the Allison Rose Foundation was founded also after a tragedy, after um, Ali Suey passed away of anaphylaxis from an accidental ingestion while she was at college. And her parents are trying to create purpose from from the tragedy and trying to to teach others, especially teenagers and and college age kids about how to recognize anaphylaxis and what to do when they recognize it. Part of that work included helping to craft legislation to help food allergy families. And the name of the legislation is the Allison Rose Suey Act. I'll put a link to that in the podcast blog. Part of the legislation, in addition to encouraging schools to have food allergy education that is crafted by allergists, board-certified allergists. It also indemnifies prescribers of the stock epinephrine so that a prescriber will be more likely to actually write that prescription for your school because they feel safe that they won't be in trouble should there be an allergy emergency and it, it not go the right way and that they'd be in trouble simply by doing a good deed and providing a prescription to a school. So we were really happy to be able to support the Allison Rose Foundation in in that manner. And when I have the Sueys on, I'll talk about some other super cool stuff we're doing with the Allison Rose Foundation to help schools be better prepared for allergy emergencies in particular. So those are the two posters slash abstracts that we had at the American Academy of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology. Very different, but again, the life of a food allergist is is um, not necessarily just along one wavelength, right? I'm involved in research, clinical care, and in outreach, and I feel very blessed to be able to do that, and I feel very blessed to work with amazing people at, at Code Anna, our amazing program director, uh, Madison Oxford, did just a fantastic job putting all the information together. And then at Cleveland Clinic, my amazing colleagues, Rachel Wetzel, Jackie Bajelic, Ahila Supermanian, and Sandy Hong, just really, really, really fantastic people. And I feel blessed to to collaborate with these folks and and then to share with you, my amazing listeners, this great information. And so I hope you check it out at foodallergyinyourkiddo.com. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Food Allergy in Your Kiddo podcast. Remember to visit me at foodallergyinyourkiddo.com where you can read the accompanying blog post and find other really great resources all about, you guessed it, food allergy and how it affects your kiddo. Y'all remember now, I'm an allergist, but I'm not your allergist. So talk with your allergist about what you learned on today's episode. And if you don't yet have an allergist, get plugged in with one. You can do that through the American Academy of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology, or also the American College of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology. Both of those organizations put links to where you can find a board-certified allergist. And I'll put that in the blog notes. Okay, y'all have a wonderful week. God bless you and God bless your family. (laughs) 